How's it going, everyone? Welcome to a special edition of Renegade Jukebox on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. Joining me, as always, we've got Nick. I wish I was back with better circumstances, guys. Yeah. Um, on March 25th, 2022, it was reported that we lost... Taylor Hawkins, the drummer for the Foo Fighters. And already one of the like one of the most tragic things about this is we lo- we lost him while they were on tour in South America. And that's such a bummer too because Mike, you've said you've never gotten the chance to see them live. Mhm. I'll get into a point about that later. But yeah, that just kind of makes the entire situation sting all the more. Yeah. On on top of the fact that um you know, Dave Dave's already been through one uh tragic loss of a band member and that's partially where the Foo Fighters origin comes from. But Rather than make this, you know, an audio Wikipedia page, let's just reminisce about the like our own experiences with the band. Start starting with just your very first exposure. Nick, I'll let I'll let you start. I have no idea what my first exposure would have been, honestly. I mostly I mostly just kind of followed whatever my mom was listening to, whatever CD she bought. That was what got played in the house nonstop for at least for at least the next five or six months, I would say. So a lot of their 2000s output, that would be what would get played on like the stereo in the living room all the time. So I may... But at the same time, I also have vivid memories of seeing all of the music videos on Much Music and MTV. And then eventually just on my own free will, once, you know, I started using LimeWire more in high school, giving my computers all of the viruses. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, eventually I would just try to get every album that I could buy them. Nice. I I actually have a very distinct memory of seeing on on VH1 during like I don't know probably one of their like top twenty countdowns or or just a random music block. The very first my very first exposure to Foo Fighters was the music video for "Learn to Fly," and we'll get we'll get more into their music videos later because. I think they have they have some of the most fun um, concepts, um, but learn learn to fly is a, is a special one because this was also my first exposure to Tenacious D. That's Jack Black and Kyle Gass. Um, they're the uh, um, I don't know I don't exactly know what they were doing on the plane. They were like, um, you know, doing some sort of tampering with. Uh, tampering with like the coffee machine or something but they but they only show up in like in the beginning and the end of the video 
And then the video itself is just, you know, the band being their their own goofy selves. They're in the video because Dave Grohl is friends with Jack Black and Kyle Gass, so they have to be there. <laughs> Basically. And as for the first the first um, album of theirs that I owned, that was uh, their 2002 record, One by One, which remains one of my favorite albums of all time. It, I don't know if it's my favorite if it's my favorite Foo Fighters album, but at the at the time this was this was one that got a lot of replay when I was younger. Which is weird too, because I also really like this album, but weird enough, a lot of people don't like it and I don't get it. Yeah. Um and some of the criticisms don't really make a whole lot of sense. The the only one that I could like I could kind of see is um, this was one of those albums that was produced um, and was a casualty of what was referred to as the loudness war. Um, And you can kind of, you can kind of hear that in the, like um, in the way that this album sounds, it's a lot compared to their, you know, some of their other albums, it's a lot crunchier, it's heavier um it sounds you know a lot more intense it's 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 not like you know dave's probot album but it's definitely the foo fighters with like a crunchier guitar tone but still arena built exactly and any any specific tracks off uh one by one um that you uh go back to the most all my life has always been my favorite. I know it's probably, I know I could probably go with a deep cut off of it, but I don't know. Something about the riffs on it, something about the playing on it, the drumming in particular. It just makes it a perfect song to either open up a show with or just what I was watching the documentary they put out when wasting light came out and chris shiftlet he said there's always that part in the show whenever you know could be a good show or it could be a bad show if it's a bad show that's when it gets good again when they start playing that nice for me i am going to go with a deep cut um halo is probably the song i come back to the most i do i do love all my life and like you said, as an opener, as an opener, it's just fantastic. But there's just something something about Halo that kind of makes it the perfect Foo Fighters song. That and um, and time times like these are another like that's just another Stone Cold classic. Which that song also showed up in American Wedding. <laughs> oh. Yeah, how do I know this? I'm a 2000s kid. Of course I have to know this. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, for me also, uh, going back to the previous album, the first one that actually had Taylor playing on it, because I really feel like, you know, as much as he blends in really well in the Color and the Shapes music videos and like really nails the drum parts, he doesn't play on that album. I 
kind of have to stress that why that's why we're not going album for album really because he doesn't join the band until after that record is recorded so there is nothing left to lose is really the first time we hear him play on an album mm-hmm. and, and he re- he really he like he does he does such a good job not necessarily emulating uh dave Grohl's drum like um drum style but um he 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 like finds the right balance between like picking up right where the last album left off but also kind of making his own uh making his own mark yeah because i was actually gonna say one of my favorite songs by them period is probably stacked actors just the riffing the playing like it's the perfect song built for an arena with the drum tracks to get the crowd moving but at the same time just those hooks man it it works so and that end it was also in guitar hero metallica oh i forgot about that actually yeah, that was one of the songs that I would always. It was either that or Albatross by Corrosion of Conformity that I play the most of the non Metallica songs. Nice. But um, I mean, there's tons of gems on that album. Like, everybody knows how great Breakout is. Um, I already kind of mentioned that Learn to Fly has a, just a special place in my heart. Gen- Generator is a cool uh departure from their usual sound at least in terms of like dave using using like a a vocoder for the top uh, box intro (laughs) yeah uh the album that i was jamming the most after finding out what happened one of i don't know if you jammed this one mike but i actually jammed the live album skin and bones that was the one that i like i need to put this on I, I I put I spun a, a little bit of of that album. Yeah, this this out al- this album is great. Even on an acoustic album, Taylor is just attacking that kit. Yep. Bitch. One of my favorites. Uh, let's cut right into this because this is probably one of my favorite songs by the band and one that I kind of grew more appreciation as I got older. Cold Day in the Sun. Yes. But before before we talk about that, can we just go back to the album that they were um, supporting on the Skin and Bones tour in your honor? Oh yeah, go. They kind of tie together, so it makes sense. Yeah. So what's cool? What's cool about in your honor is it's a it's a double album. But what's different about it is disc one is a traditional Foo Fighters record. But disc two is all acoustic, and some some of my favorite songs are from this album, um, like "Miracle," um, "On the Mend," "Virginia Moon," and yes, "Cold Day in the Sun." I can't really tell what kind of influences are on the song, but. It sounds like a Foo Fighters song, but it also doesn't. It sounds like a wholly unique track on the album. I think part of that is because um, what was this the first time that Taylor Hawkins uh, took the mic? 
I believe so. I could be wrong, but for now, let's go. You know what? I'm going to pull up Wikipedia so I don't make an ass of myself on the internet. I will actually fact check myself. I think he he does lead vocals on Life of Illusion on uh, on One by One, which looks like that was a Joe Walsh cover. Oh. And also, before I forget, because I was jamming this before we started recording, uh, their cover of Have a Cigar from the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack with Brian May from Queen on it, actually. And so, that's, another, yeah. that's another cool thing I, lo- I love about this band is, um, you know, one A, um, when they do covers, be it live or in the studio, they don't just pick easy, easy targets. They just genuinely pick songs that they enjoy and want to put their spin on. Yeah. Which have a cigar is like, you know, obviously it's a popular pink Floyd song, but it's not just them playing the song note for note. It's them. Actually, it sounds like a Foo Fighters song, but it's have a cigar by pink Floyd. And they've got Brian May from queen on it. And the, and the other thing is um, it's pretty obvious that they're big fans of Queen because one of one of their, at the very least, live cover staples is uh, Tie Your Mother Down, which I first I first heard them cover this on a VH1 program from, I think, like either 2006 or 2007 called VH1 Rock Honors. And this was like this this was like the the performance that opened the show and it was just, it was just great and and I'm, and I'm pretty sure Brian May was on stage with them too let me actually make sure that they actually showed up no it was uh John Paul Jones and Jimmy Page showed up for uh Ramble on and Rock and Roll so for whatever reason I thought Brian May showed up for for that gig Still, still though, th- th- this just kind of shows how respected the band is in like the rock and roll community. Yeah, you know, as much as we are big into extreme metal, like at the same time, sometimes you just need a big arena rock tune with big riffs and loud drums, as Dave would put it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Cold Day in the Sun, that's one for me that i don't know just that song for me is aged like wine especially since i've been lucky enough to see them live twice once in 2015 and once in 2018 they put on a killer show and whenever they play that song live it always goes down super i don't feel like people appreciate it as much as they should have but now that obviously Taylor is no longer with us, I think that, you know, hopefully that song gets a little bit of some second life because just him and Dave, the chemistry they have doing their vocal trade-offs in that song, it's great. Oh, yeah. And plus, I just given what that Taylor isn't with us. I'm glad you mentioned on the mend because that actually is a song Dave wrote about Taylor's OD in 2001. Oh, 
I, I actually didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Um, in the documentary, it states that uh, Taylor was doing a bunch of partying and just, I think it was some European tour that they were doing at the time. And Taylor was big into partying at that point. Like he's in his own words, he said in an in interview years later, he said that I wasn't an addict, but I was big into partying basically. And must have taken a bad batch and just wound up in the hospital because of it. And the guy was in a bloody coma. So there's a reason it's called on the mend. It's because he's literally just in a coma and this is kind of Dave singing to him. Wow. So listening to in your honor again is going to feel very bittersweet once I get to that track. Yeah. It'll hit differently. And that's the thing I'm going to mention too, because Mike, I said earlier, you said you've never gotten to see them. Guys, if you get the chance to see your favorite bands, go fucking see them. Don't bullshit your way out of it. Say, oh, I've got work or, oh, I've got a date or, oh, I've got to hang out with the people I hang out every No. Go see your favorite band because you have no idea if you're gonna get the if you're even gonna get the chance to see them again. Um yeah, as as someone as someone who doesn't often get the chance to go to as many live shows now, um please don't miss your opportunity because like you have no idea if it's if it's going to be their last and trust me because the foos they always put on a good show like the two times i've seen them they play as long as possible they throw in some covers for fun but not for you know just to pad the set list out they actually make it fun and they mix it up they don't just play they don't pull what megadeth do and just play the same 10 or 12 songs over and over tour after tour like yeah you'll hear the everlongs the learn to flies the all my lifes but then they'll throw an odd one here and there in there for you so it's not just a repeat of what you saw before and speaking of covers i'd be remiss if we didn't mention um their cover of Little Nicky by Prince. I'll let you take the floor with this one because I don't think I heard this one. I don't remember exactly when when I first heard it, but at the time I wasn't that familiar with Prince's like discography. So I just thought this was like, oh, hey, cool, new Foo Fighters song. I didn't realize until I looked up later, oh, they're covering Prince. That's actually really cool. Let me see when exactly it came out. Uh, have it open on their greatest hits album apparently this was actually a b-side i think no i'm just seeing uh they did a song for the orange county soundtrack in o2 yeah i i'm not sure because this is the first time i've really heard of that cover honestly i'm i might have to check it out once we're done recording <laughs> yeah but listen but listen to that song and then and then go back and listen to um the the single shame shame from medicine at midnight 
and you can most definitely hear the prince influence. And that's and that's just, and that's just a cool thing about about the Foo Fighters is like their 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 influence are their influences are just kind of all over the place. Like we know we know Dave is a is a big metalhead because Probot exists and the fictional band in their horror movie, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, their horror movie Studio Six Six Six. Um, the fictional band um, Dream Widow is a, is like a very you know old school uh, metal band, and they I think they just put out their um, like the album not too long ago. Yeah, the the Dream Widow EP just came out. From what I'm aware, apparently Dave was really behind on deadlines to put that out. So. And I should also mention Dave does all the instrumentation on that Dream Widow EP. Which, which is just kind of very typical Dave. Yeah, it makes sense. But you know what? I've got a, I've got a lot to say about Studio 666. So why not? Let's just, I don't know, just have fun talking about that because I that was a fun theater experience, man. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I don't... I, I, I don't want to say it's my favorite movie of the year, um, but it's the, the, the way I, I've described this to, to like my friends is that it, it's, it's the kind of silly, um, silly, I'm making a movie with my friends project that's really in line with uh, Tenacious D's The Pick of Destiny in, in that, it's it's really just the band have having fun, but also legitimately making like a pretty intense uh, horror film at times. My thing is is that I know a lot of people were pretty critical of the oh the band can't act they're not the greatest actors oh it's a schlocky horror movie. But at the same time, they know what kind of movie this is. It's not like they're trying to like top the exorcist or something. It just sounds it just sounds more like they just wanted to make a schlocky, gory, R-rated haunted house movie with as much gore as possible, with Dave tapping into his devil character from those tenacious D videos. Exactly. Like, how can you not have fun with that and not have fun with Dave pressuring Taylor to nail a drum part and then decapitating him with a symbol. <laughs> Although, honestly, I think we can both agree the best death is reserved for their now current keyboardist, Rami Jaffe. Literally him having sex with the next door neighbor and then them both getting chainsawed in half. Oh, that is that is easily the best, the best death. Never in my life have I wanted to see Dave Grohl pull a Friday the 13th and just chainsaw a couple screwing together and just see the most gory shit happen and just watch the bed get covered in blood. And yeah, you know, that's... there there actually is some uh horror cred, like there there is some like genuine horror cred in that. John Carpenter um, composed like the main the main theme of the film. He he didn't do the whole he didn't do all of the music, um, 
but that honor belongs to Roy Mayorga of Stone Sour. Yep. But still, just to have John John and his son involved, even in like the smallest capacity, is still pretty awesome. Yeah, and it's pretty clear that they're not just going, huh, huh, we're in a horror movie. Let's make fun of how dumb some horror movies can be. No, it seems like they actually wanted to take it seriously to some extent and make a legitimate genre movie. And, you know, even if it tanks, they at least got to say they made a horror movie. Yeah, this is this, this was just something that something that they did um, for fun. This is this isn't like this wasn't necessarily, you know, a big production. You know, this this was just done in the same house that they recorded um, Medicine at Midnight, which I know there are a lot of people who don't like a lot of the recent albums that have come out. I'm not sure how you feel, Mike, but to be honest, I kind of just needed a bit of a break from them after I want to say about like 2010, 2011-ish. So around the so, time of uh, Wasting Light? Yeah, uh, I I kind of took a bit of a break. So really, Medicine at Midnight was like the first album in ages that I went out of my way to be like, okay, I'll listen to the whole thing front to back. And, you know, my thing is, is that it, my general impression was always just, you know, the popular hipster kids that I went to school with. They wouldn't give this band the time of day. But then by the time like Wasting Light came out, then they were just like, now it's cool for us to like them. It's like, come on, come make up your fucking minds. And now I'm just like, yeah, maybe I am kind of trying to be that cool person that likes what other people don't. But I dug Medicine at Midnight. I dug the riffy tracks that were on it. And I I at least paid attention to what singles they were releasing at the time, too. I'll at least say that. But, you know, they all, the main thing was just, again, big arena riffs, loud drums that sound great, and they put on a great live show. You know, that's all I really got to say is that, you know, if you can at least make these songs sound great live, you did your job. And that's what I feel like the Foo Fighters do great is when they just make big arena tunes. Yeah, and that's that is what I liked about uh, Medicine at Midnight. I wanted to to like their previous record, uh, Concrete and Gold, and I really dug their like the first single, Run, which you know, I I I thought like. If that was if that was the direction the entire album went in, then this this would have probably been one of their better later day records. The, the album as a whole wasn't quite as uh, energetic. You know, it's it, it's not a complete wash. It's just not one of their more memorable albums. But something something I will say about the band is um, they they do a really good job picking their singles. If if whether or not it's like the band themselves or or uh, the label, but they usually do a good job picking the singles. The, the Foo Fighters is one of those bands um, that works as both like an album band and a single band at the same time. Other, other bands can only really do one or the other. 
yeah it's not like they're Papa Roach where they just kind of design an album around okay here's our big singles okay let's pad out an album or it's not like you know whatever octane band flavor of the minute you know generic metalcore band that doesn't scream is just going to put out like something that just is designed to break through to the modern rock radio. I can never say that about a Foo's record is just that I've never really felt like they've just made an album just to pad it out. Right. And as, as much as our later catalog is like not as well received, I can never say that the band phoned it in, but I, but I do have to ask, um, what 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 would you say was like the last the last like great Foo Fighters album that you heard? Mine, I would go with. This might not be the most popular choice, but probably Echo Silence, Patience and Grace. Hmm. That was the one that I really liked in high school. So again, it has the Pretender on it. Let it die is great. Yeah, uh, kind of a tough choice, to be honest. I, I've never really, I don't really want to give too much of a cop-out answer, but at the same time, either that or I, I'd have to revisit a lot of like the 2010s period records, I guess. You you made you made a good argument for Echoes, but at, at, at the time that, that Wasting Light came out, I, I was thinking like, wow, this this album was really impressive it it like i i thought this was going to this was going to be like you know the like the beginning of their second act and that's not entirely wrong because now 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 the band is like as big as they are because apparently there aren't really a lot of those anymore that's the uh, that's the one thing i will say that i get annoyed by whenever i've gone to see them live the only time that I even remotely liked the opening band seeing the Foo Fighters was the first time I saw them because they actually brought Royal Blood out as the opening act. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and then that was behind that first record they did. And just, I find that they don't, like, I'm not saying that they should just take out, again, insert flavor of the month octane band here or just whoever they get to play the side stages at one of the dwp festivals but i don't know i just kind of find like some of the Lollapalooza bands that they take out that you know just try to reel in that hipster crowd i just kind of go this just isn't gelling with me. Like, come on, get a get on to like the bigger tunes, please. I hear what you're saying. One, one, one of the other reasons I'm a little bit disappointed I never got to see Foo Fighters live is, and I don't know if I can ever, I don't know if I can actually confirm this, but um, there there was one year that um, they were invited to play at um, K Rockathon, which is my local radio station's summer music festival. Um, but the reason they couldn't go is because Dave had like a birthday party or some family gathering. Um, and you know how Dave is like famously a mama's boy. So obviously family comes first. That, that would, that would have been just so cool to, to see him live in like 
in in that sort of environment because they'd be play they'd be playing with bands that are you know closer to their style yeah and, and i do get that they kind of come from that alternative route but at the same time you know if you're going to take one of these indie bands out at least have it have something with a little bit more energy and oomph to it not you know some that i really feel belongs more like at lollapalooza or bonnaroo or something you know yeah just take out somebody more energetic and fun to watch live but i mean that that's the one thing i'll kind of add to your point about the later records though and i'm going to kind of give away what band we're going to cover next you know once we're done with all of the machine head records that's the one thing I'll say about the Foo Fighters kind of the way I'll say about All That Remains when, unfortunately, Ollie Herbert passed in 2018. For as much as, a, even if you don't like some of the later Foo records, Taylor's drumming was never the problem. Kind of like the way, even if I'm aggressively not a fan of a lot of newer All That Remains, Ollie Herbert's guitar playing was never the issue. Right. Yeah, just to reiterate a point I said earlier, um, the Foo the Foo Fighters never have have never phoned it in. They're even, even on a record like uh there's there's nothing left to lose. That was a bit more of an experimental record, but even even then they're still putting their heart into it. Yeah, they actually care about the music that they're making. It's not just, let's phone this in just to put out another album. Right. Um, I guess the more heady question at this point is, do you think that they should continue? Because I'm like, that's some big shoes to fill. <laughs> I, I have been thinking about this question for the past 24 hours and I've come up with two answers. On the one hand, I, I don't think, and I can't speak for Taylor, but I don't think he would want the band to dissolve simply because he's no longer with us. Um, you know, Dave, Dave in particular um, is a very creative individual, and creative people can only can only go so long without creating. So even if even if like the Foo Fighters um, are not quite not quite the same, um, like even if the Foo Fighters themselves don't continue. Dave is going to want to is going to want to go back in the studio um, and just put something out. Like we kind of alluded to earlier, that's how the Foo Fighters even was formed because when Kurt Cobain passed away, D Dave being Dave, he had songs that he wanted to get out, so he recorded the first uh, the first Foo Fighters record and the rest is history. Yeah, um, I mean, it's... but the other answer is 
should should the Foo Fighters continue? It's it, it's it's up it's up to them what whether or not they want to. Now, how they continue, I would say, in studio, Dave can Dave can go back to recording the drum the drum parts, and then on tour, e- either either Dave stays on the drums because they the the band now has what three three guitarists. Technically, if they if they wanted to, the like the band can just stay the five of them. Dave moves to the drums. Pat and Chris can um, can stay on guitar. Nate on bass. Dave on drums and and Rami on keyboards. Or everyone stays as is, and they get a fill in drummer. Yeah, but then the question is, like, who who do you get to fill um, Taylor's shoes? Yeah, because that's my thing is aside from Dave, Taylor would always be like the first person I would associate with the band, to be honest. Exactly. Like he's just aside from Nate, he's just been there the longest without having quit the band. And because I mean, even in the back and forth documentary, they mention how it's just the first couple of years of the band, they just kind of <laughs> in interviews, everybody was just the running joke would be, so who's in the band this week? <laughs> but yeah, like aside from Dave, Taylor Hawkins would always be the second person I'd associate with them. And I just can't help but go, I don't think you could fill those shoes is the main thing, which is kind of why if they do continue, maybe I would prefer Dave take over in the studio and then they get a fill in, you know, lessen helps lessen the expectations and maybe softens the blow, but you know, it's purely up to them. Yeah. I, Really, really, at the end of the day, I I don't want these musicians to to just stop playing just because Taylor's no longer with us. I understand them like wanting to take a break um, for either like the rest of however long they were supposed to be on tour or just the rest of this year. But eventually they're going they're going to want to. they're they're going to want to create again um in yeah. in some capacity yeah kind of kind of what lincoln park are allegedly doing after chester passed which i think that you know as much as it would suck for you know us the fans not to get the chance to go see them cuz i was supposed to go see them in september actually you know, I I can't help but agree with you that maybe it would be a wise idea if they did take the rest of the year off to just kind of reconvene and figure this out. Yeah, because it's it's not going to be an easy decision, and they're 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 put in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Yeah, which. I don't know. The only thing I can kind of think right now is just like how many great bands that have lost a member 
how much more dull of a world would it be if they just stopped making great music like just imagine how dull of a world we'd live in if after cliff burton died metallica just said nope we're done or how about um if acdc just ended after bon scott or slipknot with paul gray i mean it's not a front man situation i get it but at the same time when you know, one of your two faces of the band isn't there. I guess we'll let history write itself. Now, I have I have some good news for, for those who, you know, still want to keep Taylor's memory alive. He does he does have a project in the works or that was in the works. So in 2021, Hawkins, Dave Navarro and Chris Cheney of Jane's Addiction formed a super group called NHC. Hawkins even described it as somewhere between Rush and the Faces. And I, I, I don't know what, what like they're calling their album. Maybe they're just calling it um, NHC. But supposedly this is coming out later this year. So that's actually something just based on how he described it. Something I'm very much looking forward to uh, checking out yeah i'm i'm gonna have to jam that when it when it sees the light of day um i might actually jam his three solo records that he put out in 2006 2010 and 2019 oh uh, the the coattail riders yeah apparently whenever mike portnoy does his uh his best of the year list usually one of Taylor's solo records that he does shows up on it so I might have to take Mike Portnoy up on that and actually give those albums a spin also for a lot of people who don't know this he actually played on uh, one of Coheed and Cambria's albums yeah that's right um, okay Apollo, it was, yeah. I'm Burning Star 4 volume 2 the long ass title that I will never say again <laughs> um Good Apollo, I'm I'm Burning Star Four, Volume Two. No world for No world for tomorrow. Shout out to my friend PJ Campbell, who is a huge Coheed and Cambria fan. So now 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 that I know that Hawkins was on a couple of those tracks, I might have to spin that one again too. He actually plays on the whole record because apparently uh, Chris Peeney from dillinger escape plan i believe it is apparently there was some label issues so oh he couldn't play on the album so they got taylor hawkins to actually play on it and plus because it's produced by i'm probably going to mispronounce his name horribly but nick Raskalenix, he actually produced who produces a good chunk of the foos albums he produced this so it makes sense that he'd probably call up Taylor and be like, hey, do you want to play with this, you know, huge conceptual prog rock band? And then he's like, sign me up. Okay, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, uh, as crappy of a thing as it is to say after the, a famous musician dies to go check out to just now go and check out their back at go and check out a lot of his solo stuff go go stream it go 
buy the vinyl go do what you gotta do to get a hold of it and jam it hell yeah um and anything anything else that uh that we should talk about um because in in the what 25 plus years that um that he's been active um as a musician um you know he's 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 had quite the long uh career i don't know what to say at this rate it's it's a huge loss it's a sudden loss and it's a bummer especially because you know the foos have an active habit of putting out albums every every two or three years at least you know it just sucks that if the foos do continue that he won't be on the next record and yeah. that he won't have that same that same energy on that that same energy that he has won't be there on stage anymore you know it this just sucks i don't know what else to say man yeah this is this this is a loss that really really got to me um Oh, it hit, man. I could barely get out of bed. Like, I just kind of fell asleep. After I got done watching the back and forth documentary, I just went straight to bed, threw one of their records on, and I just slept until, like, 11. Same. This was this was kind of, like, one of my... Um, I just had a very unproductive, unproductive weekend that has basically just been consisting of jamming the Foo Fighters and basically just kind of just kind of kick kicking back um taking taking things easy um if if you want if you want to see um the Foo Fighters final performance look 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 up on YouTube or wherever um clips from from their uh Lollapalooza uh set in in Argentina like the 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 two the two songs that that really kind of made me emotional um going back to them were again another mention of Queen uh Taylor took the mic and sang uh one of my favorite songs Somebody to Love and then Hawkins's final performance was um, en- ending the show with Everlong. And that's the first time I've first time in a while I've heard of them ending the show with Everlong. So that just kind of pours more salt in the wound. Yeah. And it. <sighs> It, it 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 makes now listening to that song and by extension the color and the shape a lot more bittersweet yeah i think i put it best just this just sucks man mm-hmm. 
<sighs> yeah. If if you take anything from this, if you've never heard a Foo Fighters record, you pretty much can't start at any wrong spot. They're generally pretty consistent. They consistently put out albums every two to four years, roughly. And very, I would say pretty much never, you'll never have a bad time listening to it. And we have Taylor to thank for that, for his awesome drumming and his his stage presence and energy. And to add to your point about them doing Queen covers, the times I've seen them, they've done Under Pressure. Oh. Yeah. And I believe when they did that cover live, he would do... uh, I think he would do Bowie's parts and Dave would do Freddie Mercury's parts. Nice. Just thinking about that now more, that just stings even more now, man. (sighs) Yeah. So Taylor Hawkins, may your memory be a blessing. Rest in peace, Taylor. Thanks for the years of great music huge part of my childhood just thanks man and that'll do it for this special episode of renegade jukebox you know where to you know where to find both of us we will catch you guys later peace out